Welcome to the Exponential Podcast. My name is Peyton Jones, and as Exponential's content director, I'll be your guide through the curation of the world's largest multiplication library of resources and training. We currently have four shows running Monday through Thursday, each with a different thrust towards accelerating multiplication. On Monday, join us for front lines tackling current issues facing pastors and planners. On Tuesday, tune in for Biblically Speaking, Theological Foundations for Transformative Race Conversations. On Wednesdays, Ralph Moorhead's Practical Multiplication, A Pastor's Guide to Accelerating Multiplication. And lastly, Candid Conversations is on Thursday, Unpacking Definitions of Diversity. Be sure to catch them all as they will serve as equipping companions on your discipleship journey towards multiplication. Today, we'll be catching up with Ralph Moore and Myron Pierce on Practical Multiplication. Practical Multiplication highlights Exponential's core church multiplication frameworks with a focus on the everyday practical nature of how these concepts can help pastors and church planners make disciples and multiply churches. Now, let's join Ralph Moore and Myron Pierce. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited today. I'm getting to be with a couple of really, really good friends, my new friend uh, of about two years and really my disciple, uh, Myron Pierce. And uh, Myron and I are are poles apart. I'm exactly twice his age. Uh, He (laughs) lives in an African-American community. I live in San Diego, California. Uh, I was an old surfer. Uh, He did time for drugs. But, man, the Lord has made soulmates out of us around – making disciples and and multiplying churches. But today is a really special day for me because I get to introduce a guy who I met a long time ago. I mean, it was, there was a story of breakage. Uh, He he had come and visited our church. His wife was trying to save a failing marriage. And he heard this idiot up there talking about, we're going to get this old bowling alley as our promised land. And he walked out of there thinking that guy is nuts. A year later, we got the bowling alley the same week his wife walked on him. And he showed up, and he's been there ever since. And as time went on, this this, I I used to change the sermon every week because Zach Nazarian was at every single service. So I'd preach it on Friday, and then I'd have to change it again and change again just to not bore the guy. And one thing led to another, and he he took the baton. When I left to go to Hawaii, he took over, and— uh, for every church we planted from Hawaii, they planted a church from Hermosa Beach and uh, around the world. I mean, they had more money than we did. Uh, we were more local, and we were focused on Asia. But they've done stuff in, in, in Africa, I believe in Europe, you know, all across the United States, in Israel, of all places. And so uh, just a real joy. Uh, Zach, just kind of greet everybody, and then we're going to throw it over to Myron to kind of get the discussion rolling. Well, it's a privilege to be here with you, again, with you Ralph and Myron and um, whoever is looking in. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to say, but I do know that uh, uh, to the, I, I guess to the core of my being that planting churches is part of our DNA and something that uh, – I've read about, studied about, learned about, certainly from you, Ralph, or in those early days, and uh, just simply makes sense to continue the, to do it. So here we are. We're talking about it. That's awesome. So, Zach, it is good to, good to meet my uncle. I call you my uncle in the spirit. <laughs> um, so talk to us about how, how you and Ralph met, and then just your question, one quirky thing that you absolutely hate about Ralph? Um, well, basically, we we met at Hope Chapel. Um, as he mentioned earlier, uh, I came there. Uh, actually, my, my first wife and I actually started attending Hope when Hope was meeting in uh, Manhattan, Manhattan, uh, Manhattan Beach Boulevard, the Manhattan Heights Community Center. And we were in the Amway business, and so we were looking for more people to incorporate in our Amway business. And uh, so we both thought, you know, where do you, where do you meet good people? And uh, we both said, well, we just go to church. Now, we didn't get married in church. We got married up at Lake Tahoe, 
at the uh, at some a marriage uh, chapel up there. Uh, we lived together for a while before that. We made that mistake. Um, and uh, But we were really looking for lifelong partners in our business. And so we made the rounds of the South Bay looking at different churches. I had grown up Roman Catholic and uh, had left the Catholic Church years earlier, hadn't been in a church in years. And uh, to this day, I, I don't know what her religious or spiritual background was. But nonetheless, our motivation to go to church wasn't to seek God or seek family or spiritual family. It was simply to recruit people and uh, look for people who could fit in our Amway business. And we, we, we stopped in at several churches. The last church we were at uh, was at the Church of Religious Science in South Redondo. And a fellow by the name of Frank Richlew was the head guy there. And we went there. We thought uh, that was a great place. They were always positive mental attitude people. I had no idea what, what religious science was all about. It just said religious. So, I, you know, I was absolutely ignorant about these things. And so we were there for a few months and began to meet some people, sponsor some people, sell some soap. And then it was Easter Sunday with my Catholic background, uh, it's a mortal sin to do work on, on a holy day of obligation. If there any Catholics are listening in, you know what I'm talking about. So I told my wife, I said, well, you're not going to do any, any business today. We're just going to go and it's Easter and we're going to listen and see if we can learn something. And of course, being Catholic, you, you know what the, res- what the Easter is about. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, we went very dutifully. The place was packed. And uh, he never said a word about the resurrection, never said a word about Jesus Christ. It was all New Age mumbo-jumbo. And uh, we left after that, never to go back. And uh, in hindsight, I see God's hand directing me. And uh, it was probably about, I don't know, just a couple months later that she left me. But in the meantime, we still were looking for another church and we had a little high school girl in our group and uh, she was from Maricosta High School. And she heard me, overheard me commenting to some of our distributors about going to church. And of course, my strategy was to go to church to meet good people. So she didn't really hear the whole conversation. She just overheard the part where it said, looking for a good church. So she peeked her head into the conversation. She said, are you looking for a good church? It's a 17-year-old high school girl. And uh, I said, well, yes. She says, would you like to come to my church? And I said, well, where's your church? I presumed I'd already been to it. And uh, she said, Hope Chapel. And I didn't recognize the name. So I said, well, where is, where, where is your church? She said, well, we meet in the community center on Manhattan Beach Boulevard. And I thought, of course, growing up as a traditional Catholic, you know, churches have church buildings. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking, this is, what is this, some fly-by-night operation? They meet in a community center. <laughs> you know, I had no idea. Anyway, anyway, so she was a distributor. You don't say no to distributors. You know, you want to curry them. So I said, well, okay, we'll meet you on Sunday. So we went. And Ralph, you were out of town doing something. And Dick Whittett was speaking. And, uh, you know, he was appropriately older and grayer. And so he looked like a pastor. Um, I wasn't particularly moved by the service. Uh, I was there just scoping things out. And uh, during the song service, if you remember back in those days, uh, whoever was leading the song service always kind of left room for people to spontaneously sing out a song from the congregation or prophesy or, you know, share a scripture. So right behind me during the song service, some guy goes off in absolute crazy gibberish. Right behind me. (laughs) 
freak me, freak me out. Well, this was on top of the fact that people were lifting their hands. I'd never seen that. So I'm really, I'm just going, there's no way. This is some cult. And uh, so we were determined. I said, we're not coming back here. But little, little Karen, our little high school girl, after the service asked me, she says, what did you think? Of course, I didn't want to insult her. So I said, well, very interesting. She said, you want to come back next week? I, and everything inside of me screaming, no, 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 no. But I said, yes, okay, we'll see you next week. So we come back the following week, and uh, the song service is going on. I'm looking for the guy with the tongues. I, I find out much later it's tongues. He's nowhere to be seen, so I'm listening. And uh, this young guy gets up to speak. So I lean over to Karen. I said, who's this guy? She's, he's the pastor. That's Ralph. <laughs> I said, well, who was the guy last week? Well, he's the assistant pastor. I said, this guy's the pastor? He looks like a high school kid. <laughs> and uh, so Ralph proceeds to tell the congregation that morning, he says, you know, we're, we're not going to have Bible study. We're going to have a family business. And I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. So the congregation had been growing and uh, they moved out of a little tiny church building just adjacent to the community center building earlier. They were looking for a building to, a larger building to house the congregation. So it begins to tell a story about how they've been praying and praying and praying. They found this building that God was going to give it to them, provide it for them. I'm listening to all this. And he's describing the building. I know the building. It's an abandoned bowling alley. And I know some people who are going to buy the building and turn it into a health club. And I'm going to get a charter membership. And he's telling me he's praying and God's going to give it to him for church. I laughed myself silly inside. I left that, that meeting mocking, mocking, mocking. And uh, we didn't go back. It was in the next... Probably the next four or five months, my wife left me, blindsided me, and uh, but I'll never forget. I'm driving down Pacific Coast Highway, and there was an old marquee sign. And Ralph, you told me that the words were on that sign for one day. God is coming. Mm. Didn't say Oak Chapel. Didn't say anything. But I knew instantly they got the building. They got the building. Those people prayed. So <laughs> in my mind, I, I made this connection with prayer. God answers prayer. Hope Chapel. I didn't know anything, but I knew that. And so my wife had left me. That was a, that was a February the 14th, Valentine's Day, 1977. Mm-hmm. And the next morning was Sunday morning. I'm banging on the front door of that church to get in. And uh, I never left. I mm. came in. And uh, I remember, Ralph, you asking me somewhere along the way, because I was going to every service, don't you get bored? I said, no, 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 no. I can't get enough. Yeah. And uh, I just, my whole world opened up to me. And... Uh, they started this in-house Bible Institute, Hope Chapel Ministries Institute. A bunch of Dallas, Dallas guys were teaching. And I uh, started taking all their classes. Uh, and then uh, one thing led to another. Ralph, you asked me, I don't know if you remember this, you asked me one time, you, <laughs> you said, you want to plant a church? going to be a pastor. I said, if I'm going to be a pastor, I'm going to go to school. Yeah. So I left and I, I attended a small seminary up in uh, uh, Ventura area and have an MDiv degree. Came back. Uh, Ralph let me be an intern for a year. And uh, really my desire was to be a churchman and go back in the Amway business and serve the church. 
but after my year of internship was over and Ralph signed me off and all my papers and so forth, he said, uh, we'd like to have you stay around. So mm. I said, well, let me pray about it. And that was one thing that Ralph always taught us, pray about it, pray about it. So I went home, told Julie, my new wife, and uh, I said, Ralph wants us to stay for another year. And so we prayed about it, and we thought, well, we can do that. We'll delay our start of our Amway business. And so six months into that second year, he announces to me um, that he's going to Hawaii. <laughs> and so I used to live. I used to live in Hawaii. Right. So I, I thought he's going on vacation. Right. So he he made this comment to me. I I was working later in the evening because I was doing a lot of marriage counseling and that sort of thing. And uh, our church building's up on a second story. So I was standing at the top of the stairs waiting for some of the people to show up. He's leaving. It's the end of his day. But he was dealing with it. I can't remember what the issue was. It was a pretty, pretty difficult issue. And so I just I made this comment to him. I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad you're the pastor. You have to do that. I'm just so happy just being a counselor. Mm. He looked at me, and you you know, Ralph, he gets that grin on his face. <laughs> yeah. He kind of smiles at you, this Cheshire cat smile. And he said, well, he said, when you sit in my chair, you're going to have to do with these things. And then, boom, with that, he was gone. Uh. So I had no idea what that meant. Next day, I'm in his office. I said, what was that all about? And he begins to tell me this story that God had given him a vision five years earlier to go to Hawaii, start planting churches, uh, bridge to Japan around the world. I'm going, wow, it was blowing me away. And <laughs> I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in a stupor listening to all this. And then he says, now we're not 100% sure, but we think, you're supposed to be the pastor. And we're going to announce it this weekend. <laughs> yeah. I want, all, I want you to all the services. I think we were doing four or five services that, by that time. And uh, just freaked me out. And uh, that, that weekend, he said the same thing to the church. He said when I came in there, he said, we're not having Bible study this morning. We're having family business. Those are the two... <laughs> two uh, Incredible days of my life. Yeah. And uh, so he announces the congregation. He's going to Hawaii. And people are, people are just going, what? What did he say? Ralph is leaving? No. Mm. No. No one ever. I think this was by 10 years in, Ralph, for you. Yeah. And nobody in their, in their ever, ever believed Ralph would leave Hope Hermosa. But here he is telling mm. everybody. So, you know, he's a savvy guy, right? So he's already anticipating. He knows that people are thinking, okay, who's going to be the pastor? So he anticipates that. Right. Does it. He says, and you're probably wondering who's going to be the pastor. And they're all kind of in shock. They're nodding. Yeah, who? I'm stand he makes me stand against the back wall of the building of the sanctuary. And he says, Zach, and he points to me. Everybody turns around. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to just run, run out of there. People said, Zach. Other people said, what's a Zach? <laughs> Other people said, well, okay, let's give him a try. Give him a chance. So there was mixed response. So we transitioned over 18 months. And where he, he would decrease, I would increase, you know, the John the Baptist thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was not a trained preacher. I, I, I was a trained theologian, but not a, a preacher. So I would try to teach people everything I knew in one setting. Mm -hmm. It's taken me 40 years to cull it down. 
So, yeah, he, he, let me just interject. The <laughs> first time, and I was gone on this weekend. The first time he's, he's reading the driver's seat. Um, he went on for an hour and 47 minutes in every single service. And they, and they started oh, calling wow. him long play Nazarian. And I figured out, well, this is a way to kind of build off of this. I started calling him long play Nazarian. And I, and I, and, and I learned if I tinge it with a little acid, you know, yeah, long play Nazarian, people would come to me and, and defend him. They get mad at me and love him. And that was part of our transition. You know, Zach would even, I asked him, stand at the top of the steps that people are coming to church, and you greet them, kind of the Absalom thing. You greet yeah. them on the way in and on the way out, and I'll go hide. And that worked really well for us. But gone, yeah. I interrupted the story, Zach. This, yeah. this is good. Yeah, that, that, uh, that was, I think that was probably one of the best things we could have ever done is do the reverse Absalom thing. And uh, that started me down you, the Zach, before you, before you move forward, I think there's an important thing I'd like you to unpack. Um, because obviously, one thing you said that there was an 18-month transition. Well, first yeah. of all, you went off to Bible seminary. You came back. Ralph asked you, would you be an intern? Spent some time with you. Now he's talking about leaving. He's talking about the Jesus thing. I'm not going to be with you for long. He drops the bomb on you, the whole, the whole church. Um, but you just said something in that, that I'd like you to unpack for the audience. You said he did the reverse Absalom thing. Um, what, what, do you, what, what do you mean by that, and why does that matter when, you, when you're talking about multiplication? Well, I use the term reverse Absalom because obviously Absalom was up to no good toward his father David, right? So, but we use the same principle for good, not, not, for, not for evil. So, yeah, I would, uh, I station myself strategically to greet people every service. Uh, I would determine to learn names. And I, I've learned thousands and thousands of names. People still come back to visit after being gone 10 or 15 years, and I can recall their name. And I promise you, it, it just blows people away when you call them by name. Let me give you an example, if I may. There was a, a, a young black woman, and now, we're, now mind, we're in the beach cities, right? So Victoria came to our church. She was a single mom living with the father of her two children, but he didn't want to marry her and she didn't want to marry him. So she's stuck. So she shows up and I ask her her name and her kids' names and learn their names and welcomed her to the church and so forth. So the next week she comes back and I remember her name and I remember her kids' names. And she goes, and she goes home and she tells, she tells the, the husband or the father of her children, he says, why are you going to that white church? Mm -hmm. And she said, because the pastor knows my name and he knows my children's names. He says, well, of course he knows them. You're black in a white church. And so she didn't think about that. She said, well, well maybe you're right. So she came, she tells me this years later. I had no idea this had gone on. So she comes back the next week. I greet her, welcome her, welcome the kids. They go in, they walk halfway down the hallway toward the sanctuary. And uh, you know, Ralph, remember where the water fountains are? So she stops at the water fountains and she listens. And she hears me calling every single person who comes in by name. She goes home that day. She tells the father of her children, she says, I'm going to that church because he knows my name. He knows your children's name. He repeats the same thing he did the previous week. She says, no. He knows everybody's name, not just because mm -hmm. I'm black. And so she stayed with us for the next 15 years, met her, hus her new husband there, 
Wow. Uh, just, it was just a miracle. The kids grew up, so. But anyway, just this, this is a thing that uh, I think really afforded me the opportunity to uh, cement my relationship with the congregation is the fact that I would take the time, the energy, and care enough to learn people's names and remember them. Mm. I think that's, if, if there's anything I've done, I mean, I'm, uh, I've done a lot of stuff, some of it obviously crazy, but I think that's probably the one thing that I could point to that was really, really critical in terms of bonding with the congregation. Mm. Ralph was so well-respected, so loved uh, that I could do that. I mean, make that kind of difference. So, Yeah. What are, the, what are the things that in your time with Ralph before he left, uh, did you find transformative in your own life to set you up for success? Um, you know, just, just what I, what I just call little Ralphisms, you know, uh, philosophy of ministry. And it was something, not so much things that he said as much as things that he did. And, uh, part of our philosophy or rather his philosophy of ministry. One of the things, and I think we're going to talk about that today is you give away your very best, you know, not mm. second best, not third best. You give away your very best. And, uh, so, you know, we've, we've made it a purpose. Mm. See people come in, grow them up. We had the benefit of having our own in-house Bible training center. We added what we, a little thing we call the pastor factory to it, where I would spend, uh, you know, six months with, you know, four or five guys. Uh, and then the guy, whoever was, was our administrator, We'd spend some time with them talking about church administration issues. So we felt like we could really equip them. And, uh, mm. and I, think my, I think my personal involvement with their life and the stories of, of doing church, pastoring, what to expect, it was all very, very helpful. Uh, Ralph started that with us with HCMI. And... Uh, I remember before he left, he and I would meet. I don't remember much of what he said except this. He said, be careful about the people who want to get close to you <laughs> because they'll probably mm. stab you in the back. And he was right, sadly, because he'd experienced that, and I witnessed it. So, you know, it's just, it's just kind of hanging out and, and uh, nothing really formal. Um, so, I don't know if that helps, if that makes, answers your question, so. Yeah, it does, and, and I want to ping pong to Ralph, uh, because Ralph did write that book um, about Hope Chapel, it's called Let Go of the Ring. Yeah. And Ralph, I think the question I want to ask you um, is, what was hard about letting go of the ring when it came to Hope Chapel? So what was challenging uh, about that? The, the, the hardest part for me was uh, I, I love the people. And then the second hardest part for me was I, I just love the place. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I, when I moved to Hawaii, I mean, how can you not love those people? It was, it was an incredible, incredible 35 years there. Mm. I hated the weather because I hate humidity. And every time I would go back to, to California, it, would, it was a weird, weird feeling. But when I'd go back and just drive the streets around South Bay, around where, you know, Hermosa Beach is, I had this longing in my heart. That was a really, really surprising thing to me because I, I grew up in Oregon. I never felt homesick a day in my life. But uh, leave, leaving there, and then I think maybe – just to experience the, the, the sugar high of having lived through what really was a spiritual awakening because the Jesus movement did happen. And I didn't know that while, while I was in it. And while I was in it, it's just like, aren't we smart? We're doing all these things and they're all working. And then one day it was over and it's like, now you got to work hard. It, it's, it doesn't just happen like it did. And 
and so there had been that rush of all of that, and and so I missed that. Oddly, it's like there was a wave uh, that was moving out from pretty much from Southern California around the world, and we were able to kind of catch that wave as it hit Hawaii. So that part was was really really good, and and good things happen. As I'm listening to Zach right now, I, I'm I'm actually ha- having some regrets. I'm feeling like. Um, there were some things that we did early, the, the whole HCMI Pastor Factory thing that we never did do in Hawaii. And now I look back and I'm going, oh my gosh, I, I, I should have learned from Zach. Because it's like with you, my relationship with you, Myron, I learned so much about mm. doing DigiChurch and, and online ministry from, from a, a person half my age. And so I think when we get together Jesus disciples, both of us. And with Zach, it mm. was kind of like, you know, he's doing this big thing. Sometimes I would feel intimidated. I don't want to bother him because we're doing this little deal out here in Hawaii and he's got this big thing to run. And I, and I regret that I didn't, uh, I didn't sit his feet more. I remember a day I, I used to, cause I'd travel quite a bit, even in those days, and one day I was on my way from somewhere and I stopped in to see Zach and I, I, I plopped down in his office and he's on the phone with this young guy who I knew who was starting a church just as I was leaving uh, named Rick Warren. And he got this notebook, this loose leaf binder, and they're editing this thing together and, it, and it's called Purpose Driven Church. And as I'm, I'm sitting there on the sofa in what used to be my office, waiting to, to, to talk with the master. And he's so engrossed in this thing that finally it's like, I got to run. I got to go to the airport. Bye, Zach. And we never even talked. But there was so much that I could have learned, and I regret that mm. I did it. Wow. Could you, could you unpack a little bit more about regret? And maybe Zach, if you jump in in that as well, if you had to do it over again, um, what is it that you regret um, that you would you 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 do better? Maybe the maybe the disciples and leaders you've raised up in the past. Um, what are other regrets? Because I think for us young cats, um, millennials, and Gen Zers, we don't hear enough of what you regret. And, um, and if we could learn a lesson on what you regret, maybe we could uh, survive some, some bombs or some, some pitfalls. So what are, what are the regrets, um, even, even in church planting, leadership development, making disciples, Ralph or Zach? Um, <clears throat> let me start and then, and then throw it over to Zach. I, I, have a re- a, I, I don't have many regrets in my life. Uh, I've done some stupid things, uh, but the biggest regret of all was when we got started, we were in a denomination, they are high control. And if we started a church outside of our immediate area, they controlled it. They owned it. They controlled it. And they were offended if we would try to do something to stay networked with those people. Later on, I got to the point where I really didn't care what anybody thought. You know, you, you grow, you mature. It's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm my own man, whatever. And, and so I, I take the blame for this, not the denomination. In the early days, it's their fault. Later on, it's my fault that we did not, we did not build out a network. At first, we didn't want to be seen mm. as, as competing, as starting our own denomination. Uh, even when they first started calling Daughter Churches Hope Chapel, I freaked out. I didn't want any part of that. But then later on, we gave into that. But we didn't, like, assemble people. I mean, today with Zoom and all, uh, we, we, we'd have a lot more going for us. But we, we could have had annual events. We could have done a lot of things uh, to the point that when Exponential – I mean, here's how disconnected we are. When Exponential uh, came into my life, I had to go and do a survey to find out how many Hope Chapels are in the world because we didn't have any network, that, any way of reporting or any of that. But about 10 weeks ago, Zach has a, a, a guy in England who talks to a guy there who tells him about this church that started 2,300 churches. And 
the, the guys in Hermosa discovered that that was them. Uh, they, didn't, they weren't connected with Exponential. They didn't know about all of that. It's like, oh, we're sort of heroes in this story, and we had no idea about it. And so I, I, we could have done a way better job of that. That's my big regret. And I, that's what I think about almost every day. Mm. So Zach, toss mm. it to you. Well, you know, like, like you, um, when I, I, I went to the denomination and I set up a meeting with the general supervisor, and I'm drawing a blank on his name. He's long since gone home. But uh, my purpose was to, because, because we had this quasi-reputation of being rebels, you know that, right? So it wasn't quasi. <laughs> it was real. <laughs> yeah, we had this reputation of being rebels in the denomination, and so we were always suspect. And uh, but we were on the cutting edge. Ralph Ralph always had us on the cutting edge, and it was it proved to be a a, a really exciting thing because after a while we saw the denomination do the very things that we were doing they're still doing it. Uh, just recently, they, you know, we're, all the strategies and things that we've, we've come up with over the years, they're looking to us as the model. You know, we've got, we've been buying up commercial property to use it and uh, turn it into church property or to use it to fund, you know, some, some program. And uh, we've been so successful at it that the denomination, they're holding us up as a model. But going back to the beginning, after Ralph had left, I made an appointment with the general supervisor to go downtown to Mecca. (laughs) I used to call it Mecca. (laughs) To uh, assure them that we're not being rebels. Uh, We're going to support the Bible college. We're going to support the foreign missions program. Uh, we're going to keep up with our extension tithe to the denomination. And I just said, you know, I said, I, want, I don't want you to see us as rebels. I want you to see us as, a, as, a, as a, a productive part of this denomination. And, but we, we've always kind of been under a, under a bit of a shadow. But I bought us, I, I was just trying to buy us some time. And uh, Ralph and I had talked early on about, one day maybe leaving the denomination or not leaving the denomination. We're still in it. I've survived five administrations in Foursquare. And every single administration has called me in to want to interrogate me. And uh, I mean, just mean, serious. The last one was just a few years ago. And uh, they actually threatened to close close the church if I didn't support the certain, certain theological positions. And uh, I thought, you know what, I'm not going to make, I'm, just, I'm not going to fight and die over this. And uh, I told him, I said, well, yeah, you can count on my support. So I felt like the saving the church, saving the congregation, not going through some big, horrible problem would be in the in our best effort so mm. in terms of regrets honestly i don't really have any regrets you know like ralph said we've tried things we've done this we've done that you know some things didn't turn out so well um i've always gone back and forth over the the thing of staying in contact with church plants following mm. up with them but I've, I realized these guys, most of them went out uh, with an attitude that says, I'm going to do it better. Mm. I'm going to show those guys. And you can't really talk to them. They, they don't want to listen. But I would call them. I would visit with them uh, and just to listen. Um, one guy particularly was just very, very difficult while he was on our staff he made it his point to be a thorn in my side, and he told me so. I said, well, I think it's time to go. 
<laughs> I think it's time you plant a church. And uh, so we made a big deal. I blessed him, planted a church, sent him out with uh, two or 300 people. And uh, he called me about a year after he went out. He didn't want me to visit. He didn't want any advice from me. But he called me. And a number of guys have called me over the years and have said, I, I, I need to talk to you. I said, sure, no problem. And almost invariably, they've come back and said, I need to apologize. <laughs> mm. I, I didn't know what I was doing, and I had a wrong attitude. Mm. And, you know, the temptation is strong to say, I told you so, but you don't. You realize, hey, we're all in this process together. We're all learning. Right. I may be a little bit ahead of you in some ways, but I realized that you just have to let these guys go. Mm. And a number of them failed for whatever reason. I can speculate. I think I understand why, but, and, uh, but a number of them flourished, and, and guys are still flourishing. Mm. But uh, I think that you have to be, you have to be really wise and anticipate if I were to do it again, or what I'm doing now is I'm doing things a little differently. I'm asking them, would you want my feedback? Would you want me to be in touch with you regularly? On the surface, the response is yes, of course. But at the same time, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, what's the, what's the quality of the relationship we have now? And are they really being truthful? I can only test the waters after the fact to find out. I do think follow-up is an important thing. I don't think it's absolutely necessary. Some of these guys are just can go and make it happen on their own, you know. Um, I just encourage them to have a strong, strong sense of accountability to somebody. That's the hardest thing, I think, for most guys who are pastors today. Who are you accountable to? Who are you talking to? Who knows what's, what's going, going on in your life, in your heart, in your mind? Who knows what your temptations are? I think, if anything, we could do a better job at that. Mm. I've, got, um, I've got some people going out probably in the next year that uh, – I'm just watching and listening and uh, trying to position myself in their life, not so much as their boss, but as someone who just simply cares about them and cares about their future. And mm. that, how that fleshes out, given my experience with a lot of guys, it's still, it's still up in the air as far as I'm concerned. In other words, there's no cookie-cutter way to do this. And one of our basic values has been um, if you don't have a follower, you aren't a leader. So the flip side of that is that we uh, wholeheartedly embrace people who, who have followers and are independent thinkers. I mean, it's just that that's part of the, the DNA of Hope Chapel. And so – uh, sometimes you get these these hard heads, and you're really thankful for them. And you know, as I've I've learned, uh, you know, my friend Alan Hirsch writes about apest apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. It's pretty easy to get along with the the, the shepherds, the prophets, and the apostles. Um, the, the they're another story, but on the other hand, uh, they're the ones that are going to go out and start another whole movement. And so one of, one of the, the earmarks of, of Zach through the years, and of, I think of me, has been the willingness to work with people that other groups would, would cast aside uh, because they had so much potential, uh, they, they, because they become a threat. And one of the things about the way we've done things is we are not going to be threatened by you. Uh, we're going we're gonna to disciple you. We're going to we're going to take you as far as the Lord wants to take you. And so sometimes 
um, they got to Dorne. They, 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 they it, it, it isn't what you thought it was going to be, but that, we're not going to stop doing that. So speak, speaking of that, when you look in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas, I, I got into a big dispute, and that dispute uh, resulted in them going their separate ways. So there's a, a tensions within that within that friendship and that relationship. Can you speak to maybe a time in your leadership where you know there were there were ten, vision tension? Because that's what seems to be happening with uh, Paul and Barnabas. So maybe speak to some vision tensions in, in respect to church planting, multiplication, etc. Well, I can't I, really I, think of any. Go ahead, Zach. I've I've had I've had a few of those uh, and uh, guys that are <clears throat> guys that are ambitious for ministry and. Uh, I uh, I guess I like my style is to give you enough rope to hang yourself if if that's going to be the case. Um, but if you're going to go, you're going to go. I I have this this philosophy: either you're a pregnancy or you're a tumor, and one way or another, you got you got to go. And even even guys that are that have been a problem, uh, and uh, just we reach a place where we don't see it same way. I just suggest I said, you know what? Maybe, maybe it's time that you go and you have an opportunity to make something happen. And uh, we, I I've done my best to support those people, especially financially. And. Uh, you know, we've allowed them to uh, pillage the congregation. They can go through the congregation and they can invite people to come with them. Um, and basically it comes down to this. God, you're in charge. These are your people. They're not my people. And whoever you want to go with these people, God bless them. So, that's been one saving grace for me that I've not gotten sick over, got an ulcer over. Uh, I, I basically trust God. I, I believe in the sovereignty of God mm. and that he's, he's in control and he works in ways that I don't quite do. Mm-hmm. So I'd much rather let him take the lead. So we, yeah, we've had guys that are, that are, uh, they reach a point where they've been very fruitful, very helpful. They've gained a following, but then it's time to go one way or another. And even people that, even people that move away, we had a couple move away yet last year. I've been talking to him on the phone. And uh, I said, I said, why don't you start a Bible study where you are now? And I said, you're, you're, you're a friendly guy. You're gregarious. You're, you're, you've been through our training program. You've been a shepherd. You've, you've, done, you've done it all. And maybe it's time that you, God's moved you where he's moved you so that you can be a light. So I'm working with him and trying to encourage him to be a, a, a church plant. But, you know, that was someone who just up and moved. So, I mean, there's all, right. all sorts of opportunities that God provides for us. But I think you have to be on top of it to make use of those opportunities. Right. The question is, based on your perspectives, histories, negative experiences, how can a formal denomination or network better support multiplication movements? So I think that the question, that's quite a mouthful. So let me rephrase that. Um, Based on your experience, how can a formal denomination or network better support multiplication movements? And I'm going to pop out again and become in, invisible. Sorry to pop in. <laughs> Ralph, go ahead. You started, you started the movement. Well, um, you, you know, this whole deal about us being uh, semi-rebellious or rebellious or whatever, 
we were we were starting churches. We were handing them off to the denomination. We were paying them their ten percent that they want. We were doing every darn thing that we could do. And a guy who who had kind of mentored me when I was young, older guy, uh, uh, in the in the top echelon leadership of the denomination shows up one night and he's thrilled with what we're doing. He's just excited and we're wandering around. So I'm showing in the building afterwards. And then he, he pops off and says something about us having this reputation as rebels. And he, he wasn't attacking us. He was just talking about how all those people at Mecca think we're, we're rebels and everything. And it's like, Oh, you want rebel? You're going to get it, buddy. Um, and and, and it, it just changed that attitude. And, and, and we didn't change what we're doing. I mean, because we're honest people and honest to ourselves, we're going to do what we're doing. But it changed my heart toward them. And uh, they could have done a much better job of just, you know, I, I mean, that guy was the only guy from the headquarters of the denomination that ever came out to see and visit a, a church that was exploding with growth and exploding with, planting churches for them, and they didn't give a rip about coming there. Now, underneath it all is this tension between this addition model. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there was a church 40 miles away that's growing big and going to get bigger and going to get bigger, and we're giving away hundreds of people all the time. And so, you know, we're big, but we're not trying to get bigger. And they, they bought that. They bought the seeker-driven, that whole thing. And, and, and just kind of ignored us. And then, because we didn't fit that profile, they labeled us as rebels. And, it, and something inside me just kind of died at that point. And that was, I was very young. I'm mm. 74 years old today. I was probably um, I, I was 34 years old when that happened. And so, I, I think a lot of times, uh, I, I talk to a guy yesterday who's in another denomination and exactly the same things happened to him. He, he's planted churches. He's, he's very effective. And the denomination is, they make him promises and they never deliver. And then they refuse to talk to him. So a lot of this is communication. Myron and I have talked a lot about the racial issues. Uh, Zach, you know Jimmy Calhoun. Uh, you yes. discipled him. Uh, we've talked about the racial issues. We think a lot of those things are people yelling past each other, not talking to or listening to each other. And I think that the same thing is with denominations. Uh, they get threatened by whoever's doing a good job out there, unless it's something that they invented. And so that's my little two bits worth. Yeah, one of the things I'm, I'm hearing from you, uh, and maybe you can help me unpack this a little bit, um, that Maybe for some denominations, there's a more centralized addition focus. And when there is a decentralized multiplication bent towards church planting, if I'm hearing you right, are you saying that that could be a threat and thus be a tension in the relationship? If so, how do you overcome that? Well, I think it depends on who's, who's in the leadership position and what the philosophy is. I think uh, you know we've been around long enough in Foursquare now, you know, what, sixty years or some some crazy thing now, that you would think that uh, they would. Well, they are. They're celebrating Hope Chapel now, after all these years. Um, but I think that as I look back, you know, there's there's just always control issues, you know. If I've heard this term, I've heard it a thousand times. Our distinctives, you know, mm-hmm. or keep our distinctives. And I'm saying, look at Foursquare's distinctives are not core issues. They're peripheral issues. Mm. The gospel is the core issue. I said, mm. you ought to be thrilled that we're preaching the gospel and we still want to be affiliated. Mm. I actually said those things, and uh, <laughs> that led to my latest inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I love, I love that that in the middle of in the middle of that, like a a core response is we on 
what's not we're, peripheral we're can we agree yeah. on what's central? Well, you know, it's like you're a parent. If I hear you right, Zach, you're, you're yeah, you're you're a parent, and you have you have several children. They're all different, and you have to accommodate to their differences. And it's just right. like it's just like church planning. You know, it's not a cookie. Mm. Foursquare has has been a cookie cutter operation for years and years and years. And I told them, I said, you're a mom and pop operation. You're a mom and pop operation. You'll never get any bigger despite what you say at all the conventions because you, you demand that everybody toe the line. I said, you allow for no diversity. You allow for no one who really wants to still affiliate with you to be free in how they do the ministry. As long as the gospel is preached, you know? Mm. Um, so I, I think they're getting it. I think they're getting it now. Um, but I think that even, even for those of us who are lead shepherds or pastors or advocating for church planting, we have to learn the same thing. There's not one way to do it. Mm. I think we just need to be sensitive and look for those people, if not try to raise up some people who have a heart for the ministry. They're not all going to do the same thing the same way. You may start a Bible study in your neighborhood. Praise God. That's wonderful. Right. Or you may start a, a, a church and explode. But I, right. think that, I think that guys, guys right now who the reason we're talking, I think, is to make sure that we don't repeat the mistakes that were foisted onto us and that we just kicked against the goads, but we managed to survive and be fruitful to some degree. Mm. So, you know, how you're doing it on the, on the internet, uh, that, that's awesome. I have no idea how to do that. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still trying to get the guys out of the woodwork and start to start just simply start a neighborhood Bible study. Go to your neighbors, introduce yourself. Let's see if something happens. Yeah. You know, Jesus, Jesus model. He said to his disciples, he says, he says, wherever you go, find someone who will accept you. Start there. I've been reading some of the, latest literature, find a person to peace. That, that's the terminology that I've been reading about, which makes sense. So mm -hmm. I think that we, we, we just have to kind of encourage people to go ahead and do it and tell them they can do it. Yeah. If God wants to grow beyond a Bible study, praise God. Mm. Consider that Bible study, even if it doesn't, doesn't, have to be affiliated with, with us. Just just do a Bible study. Mm -hmm. And if you if you want it, if you want a, some feedback, if you want a, some counsel, we're available. I'm not going to force myself on you. So we have a structure. Well, this has place. been. Go ahead, yeah. Myron. Go ahead, Ralph. I was going to say, we have a structure in place. We're, we're, we're making disciples, and we're pushing it as far as it wants to go. Right. And, uh, and, and, and now what Zach's talking about right now is doing it at a neighborhood level, where we've always thought at a community level, they're doing it at a neighborhood level, and working from the ground up. And I think that's probably the future in America with the politics being what they are and all of that. Anyway, um, Myron, go ahead and and uh, wind us up here. Yeah, so Zach, man, thank you so much. I, I, you know, it's just fun to see. I've, I'm, I'm, the, uh, I'm the wild branch in the Hope Chapel movement. I was engrafted in over the last two years. So it's uh, so fun to meet you, brother Zach. I uh, would also like to say for those of you who are watching, be sure to check out all that we're doing on multiplication.org. Um, as, a, as a way to connect. And then also, if you did not know, our tribe, Exponential, we're putting on hundreds of roundtables around the country that you do not want 
to miss. You can go to exponential.org for that. Like always, we want to thank you for tuning in. Feel free to check us out, ask questions, email us. Zach, if there's any way um, we can get some information from you, if somebody wanted to contact you, how could we uh, or they get a hold of you? Hopechapel.org. Plain and simple. Yeah. Mic drop. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have email and I don't have a, I don't have a cell phone. I'm, I'm a dinosaur. And, uh, well, we, we're going to have to call you back to being cutting edge, brother Zach. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot. And, uh, we'll see you soon. Great. Great to meet you, Myron. God bless you guys. This fall, Exponential is hosting roundtable events in cities all across America. These half-day gatherings in smaller settings will allow church leaders to prioritize peer-to-peer conversations and receive practical training on how to prepare their church to lead for racial reconciliation. Exponential roundtables will help you continue to pursue church multiplication in these challenging times. Find a roundtable near you this fall by visiting multiplication.org.